the seven churches that get planted in Asia, what we call Asia Minor today, which would be modern-day Turkey, and uh, in that region of, uh, of uh, the Middle East uh, and, and, and on near the European continent, right in a key, they were strategic. Uh, and they were, they had this, this church at Ephesus was a key church. It's the first church listed in the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 as well. And they did some things right, and they did some things that they needed to improve upon. And, uh, and I, would, I think there's a lot that we can learn from this church. So uh, having said that, let's do this. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I want to read the passage, and then we're going to jump into a little review time. And then we're going to jump into to the, uh, I believe it's, we're on number five of seven uh, attributes of our inheritance. Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to come to your throne tonight and pray. We can, and we're so thankful we can enter into your, uh, into your presence with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We sing your name and we praise you tonight. We do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for loving us, and Lord, thank you for, uh, I'm not minimizing what's going on with COVID. I, I, uh, Lord, forgive me if that came across that way, but Lord, I just pray, God, that, that you would be with those that are, that are uh, Lord, Lord, on ventilators and in, in hospitals, but uh, Lord, we also thank you for the hope of the gospel. We're thankful for those that even that that face uh, death, that, Lord, that have Christ in their life, Lord, they know that uh, their last breath on earth just ushers them into an even fuller life in eternity. And so, Father, we're so thankful for the hope of the gospel. We're thankful for the peace that passes understanding. We're thankful for the promises of Scripture. We're thankful for the reality that uh, there is so much more to come, um, that uh, the things that we face today are even light afflictions. And so, Heavenly Father, it's not worthy to be compared to the, the glory that shall be revealed in us. These are the promises that we hold to and we are thankful for. At the same time, Lord, it's hard as uh, Laverne Fugate's sitting at the nursing home and, and just slowly, Lord, uh, you know, just growing older and, and, uh, and her health isn't as good, you know, day by day. It's, it's, it's able to see that. And Lord, I pray for Rex and his family as they're praying and they're caring for his mother. Lord, I pray for those others on their prayer list. I want to pray for Josephine Blake, Lord, and her, uh, her situation right now. They're, they need you. They need the doctor to, to, Lord, he needs wisdom. We know all, all real wisdom comes from you. So I want to lift that up to you tonight. I pray our church would be praying for, for Josephine tonight. I pray we'd be praying for um, uh, Lord Pastor Randy Foster tonight. I pray we'd be praying for Joyce Schleyhuber and her daughter, Jill Paulson, uh, and, uh, tonight, and Larry Schleyhuber's daughter, Jill Paulson, tonight. Lord, I pray for these matters that are on our heart and mind, Lord, that we would have a, 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 an attitude of prayer and Thanksgiving. I pray for those peering in on us, wondering what in the world are we doing here. Lord, I pray, God, you would captivate our hearts tonight with the Word of God, that it would, it would just eclipse everything else we're thinking about and would be the priority in our life. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's, uh, I, I'm glad to be here with you tonight, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I've been creeping way through here because of this uh, COVID thing. I've, I've gone a little quicker, or really, I'm going slower through the text, but I'm going faster trying to get done uh, in a shorter amount of time in our, in our service time. So you'll have to forgive me for just taking so much time to get through the first 14 verses. But I think it's important because there's so much doctrine in these verses in Ephesians. So if you have a Bible and you're at home by now, again, welcome to HBF. This is Heartland Baptist Fellowship. We're located in Cass County on the south side of Harrisonville, Missouri. And we're glad that you're watching. We'd like to have you here as soon as possible. So the doors are open now, so you can come. We will check you at the door with a, for a fever, ask you a few important questions, and then you'll be let in, uh, provided you don't have COVID virus or any symptoms thereof. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you here uh, tonight even. You can get in your car, and as long as you obey the speed limit, you can get here in the next few minutes. We'd, we'd like to have you even now. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, then we're going to look at the first 14 verses, read over this and kind of break it out. Uh, we're looking at our inheritance, so let's keep that in mind as we approach this. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This epistle is not written to the whole world at large. It's written to people who are saved. That's what a saint is, someone who's born again, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so it's written to Christians. Okay, point two here, verse two. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath um, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, and that's where we're going to start tonight, verse 7. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, or I'm sorry, on earth, even in him, in whom also we have uh, obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom ye also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory now what's really cool about this passage is we will be able to build upon what we've already learned and even though it's taken us a little time to get here, it'll help us really expedite the end of a chapter. And so if you're just joining us, we're here at Heartland Baptist Fellowship. We're in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We're looking at the first 14 verses. And uh, we're, we're talking about Ephesians and how our identity is revealed uh, through Christ's sufficiency. So uh, the, first, the first two chapters deal with Christ's sufficiency and the deity of Christ. The second two deal with the church's unity. And the third two deal with the Christian's duty. And so... Um, and so the title is Revealing Our True Identity. And uh, as we think about the first couple chapters, we've already seen quite a bit about the Godhead. Even last week I revealed some nuances in the text. You can go back and listen to that about how the deity of Christ and the, well, the deity of, uh, of the Godhead is actually uh, just imprinted all over the first couple chapters of this epistle. And, uh, and that has everything to do with our inheritance because we're seated in Christ. And then how, uh, when we get to chapters 3 and 4, we'll talk about our unity as we understand what God is doing in this time through the church. And chapters 5 and 6, we'll talk about our duty. We've already uh, seen Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2. Uh, we've seen uh, Christ's blessing to us. That's what we're looking at right now. We're hopefully going to finish that tonight in the time we have remaining. And his blessing to us is our inheritance that we have in Christ. He is our blessing. And then after that, I'm going to look at the rest of the chapter and uh, the rest of chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, which we haven't looked at, will be a, a prayer that Paul's offering for us. So we can actually see if is this prayer being answered in our life. This is, this is conversation between a man who had you in mind, just like Christ had you in mind before you were even born, and what God has uh, in plan for you, in store for you. So, so that's pretty, some pretty cool stuff to think about. So, uh, so we've been looking at Christ's blessing to us. Um, and uh, that was the, the first thing that we saw is all spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. I spent some time talking about that and how important the word all is. And then uh, we got down to the, 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 the part of chapter one. And we got down to verse four. where We need to start counting our blessings. And we start off by talking about how he, uh, he chose us, how he predestinated us, how he accepted us. Uh, and then uh, we, that's as far as I got, I guess, was the fourth one uh, or the third one, how he accepted us. Tonight I want to pick it up in verse, that took us down through verse 6. So up on the PowerPoint, did I, did I give you all of that so that they could, that's good, just let's start there. This is where we are tonight, and if you've been, if you've been that's where we left off last week, and if you've been following along with us, um, we, we left off in verse 6, which is important because it says he's accepted us in the beloved. Let me, let me quickly ask you a question to all 400 of you that are in our 117 seat auditorium right now, just kidding, uh, how many who, who is the beloved in verse 6? To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted. Accepted was the key word in the beloved. Do you guys remember that? Put anybody on, put you all on the spot. Because I talked about several. When you look up the word beloved, I don't want to rehearse what I had last week. But it's important to kind of get this down. When you go through, first we saw in the context, the beloved. Actually, Sharon helped us remember that. Sharon Familiar, that... Um, Sharon De Leon, familiar. She she helped us see that in the grammatical context, it's Christ. But there's also Israel's beloved, uh, and um, also the church is called beloved, and those are not wrong. So we went through last week and looked at 
the different uses of the word beloved uh, in the Old and New Testament uh, and how that word beloved is applied in various ways. In, the, in this passage, though, it, it's dealing with Jesus Christ. He is the beloved. And we left off talking about how, remember when Jesus uh, was on the, like in the Mount of Transfiguration and at his baptism, the Father would say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so when you think about those, you should think about now, now that we've studied verse 6, we should also think about the beloved Son to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so God has given us, the Father's given us grace. Jesus, We're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. And because we're accepted in Christ, we're accepted in the body of Christ as well, which is also called beloved. All right, so that's really last week's stuff. I'm going to get to this week. So tonight we're talking about redemption he has redeemed us so let's look at verse 7 afresh it says in whom we have redemption this is part of our inheritance redemption through his blood comma the forgiveness of sins comma according to the riches of his grace semicolon and then we'll move on to verse 8 after this so let me just park the car here and talk about this part of our inheritance this fourth aspect you know we've talked about being chosen and what that really means um, and that that was uh, tied in with our adoption. We talked about, or so was the predestination, chosen, being predestinated in Christ, being accepted in the beloved. All of those things rotate around the person of Christ. Well, you wouldn't be surprised then to know. So does our redemption, right? So redemption through His blood. So the phrase redemption through His blood, uh, that phrase is found twice in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's actually where it's, you're going to find it. The first one is obviously here, uh, and then the second one is in Colossians. In Colossians 1 and verse 14, the Bible says there, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Literally the same exact words. Paul wrote both epistles. And then he goes, even the forgiveness of sins. And so, um, you know, sometimes people talk about sin and sins. You know, the sin nature that we inherit from Adam versus the sins that we do, uh, particularly, right? Because we all are sinners by nature. Uh, We're born with a a Adamic nature. Before we actually even have a conscience to know that we're sinning, our, our proclivity in our flesh is to sin, to do things that are not uh, honoring to God just by our nature. But because of Christ, uh, we can be forgiven not only of sin, but of sins, uh, the things that we knew not to do and we did them anyway, which happens as we get older. We start to willingly disobey in regard. It doesn't take as long, though, actually. You, if you've raised children, you know <laughs> that comes quick because it is in their little nature. That's why they need to be redeemed. Right? We need to all be redeemed. So um, the first mention of the word redemption helps us understand its meaning in the uh, use of the word of God. Because uh, you've heard me talk several times now about the principles of Bible study. There are certain aspects of Bible study. One of them is the principle of first mention. So tonight I want to just look, go back to Leviticus. And I was, uh, I'll be, I just got to you know, confess my faults one to another, right? And be healed. So I, I was really pressing for time this week. So I didn't get the fancy outline on the website, so I apologize for that, and I did not uh, get all of the things that we need even in the PowerPoint, so uh, so it's kind of hit and miss tonight, so forgive the sound booth folks tonight if they're like struggling to know what in the world's Brian, where's he at now, because some of what I have is up in the uh, up in the PowerPoint, and then other things are not in the PowerPoint, And but anyway, it's kind of confusing, so I'm in Leviticus 25, verse 24, and uh, this is where you're going to find the first mention of the word redemption redemption uh and so and the word redemption even though the fill in the blank was redeemed uh, if you're still using a fill in the blank the the the, uh the word that i really want to key on in the bible here is redemption because that's the word that we find in verse 7 and in leviticus 25 uh, which is really leviticus 25 is a is a great outline and i'm going to run you through some things in this verse 25 or verse 24 says in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. All right, so let's talk about this word redemption in regard to the land for just a moment. And I don't want to tarry here and I don't want to bog you down with boredom in the Old Testament. So just hang with me here. But in Leviticus, you know, God, uh, Levi, of course, that's the tribe that was the steward of the priesthood. They didn't actually have an inheritance physically, they had a spiritual inheritance type of the church in that regard because we're priests and kings. But that's another story. So God has given them some information and um, he's basically letting them know that in all the land of your possessions, you shall grant redemption for the land. And, and, and so you see that God owned the land, and he goes on to talk about that 
Um, and the first mention of the, the word redemption reveals the authority and ownership of all things. And so in Leviticus 25, in that same chapter, uh, the verse prior to verse 24 says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. Uh, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And then he goes on to say, and, and in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. So God is establishing something about, and he's tying the fact that the, the redemption of, of the land, giving, uh, redeeming the land. Like if you think about this, if uh, I don't have one here. I think about these coupons. I used to get these. Well, we, you, I don't know if you guys go to Culver's. Culver's. By the way, i got to give Culver's some credit. Even during the COVID crisis, they kept the restaurant open. I went through the, at least twice through the drive through down there during COVID and uh, was able to get a really yummy meal. So once I had a fish meal, and another time I think I had a fish meal. And, <laughs> amen. It's dinner time. Dinner time. <laughs> So, um, but at any rate, uh, that has nothing to do with anything. Actually, it does. When you go through, if you get a kid's meal or you have children that get a kid's meal, they, they give you these scoopy tokens, right? And you can rip them off the bag. And it's magic. It's better than currency. I mean, I, it, it is currency, frankly. You, you can rip the thing off and get a free, of course, I'm sure it's built into the price, but you get a free ice cream, right, with your scoopy coupon. And you just have to, this is what you got to do. You have to redeem it at the window or at the counter. I, I'm not eating those right now, but I wish I could because I love scoopy, little, little scoopy dishes of ice cream with stuff on it. Tom Ford's here, man. He, I'm sorry, I n- named you. He didn't like being in public. Like, but my brother, you'd love some ice cream. I know that. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, or custard, whatever. It's all the same to me. It's all yummy going down. So you got, you got these things, and so you go to the window and you say, uh, you know, this is not, it's not worth anything really. Like if you just ripped off a Scoopy token and say, what would you give me for this paper? It's not worth anything. But someone at, at Culver says if it has this ink on it and it came off the back of our bag, it's worth this. I mean, it has value when you bring it to the Scoopy token guy and he gives you your ice cream. And I mean, I feel... I feel encouraged every time I do that. And so, <laughs> but it, it's, it's no good. It really is no good. If you bring that to heart, if you put like a, well, I shouldn't, maybe, maybe if you put a hundred of those in an offering envelope, that might have go somewhere here. But, uh, but most of the time, if you put, if, if, let me put it this way, the city of Harrisonville, every month, they, there's this thing about the utility bill. They want to be paid every month, every month. I mean, I don't know what, they're really persnickety about that. And so if I like took like, even 150 Scoopy tokens off the back of those bags, and I put 150. I could even use the, the gifts that go with them. There's two parts of the Scoopy redemption token thing. Anyway, I could put all of that in an envelope, and I could mail it to the city of Harrisonville and say, man, I know my bill this month's $150 U.S. currency, but I got this other thing called Scoopy tokens from Culver's, and I really they're valuable to me, and they should be valuable to you. Here you go. You know what? They're going to say, that's not what we're looking for, man. That is not gonna. That's not gonna. That's not gonna pay the tab, right? That's not gonna cut it, because uh, we don't take that currency here, buddy. You're gonna have to go back to. You're gonna have to go back and and uh, do that at Culver's. So God's the one that's making the rules here, and it's interesting because when this word redemption comes up, He's the one kind of setting the parameters for redemption, and what is valuable and what is not, and uh, and what is acceptable and what is not. And so one of the things that he talks about with the first mention of the word redemption is the land. And he says, hey, you know, in verses 24 and 25 of Leviticus, first mention there, that I'm the owner of the land. And so you need to operate under my parameters of redemption. And so I'm going to ask you, and he's actually going to lay it out in every 50th year, he gets to reset the whole economy. And the land goes back to its rightful owners, which are under 12 tribes, which he established all of that. Anyway, so he is the one that, under, he, is the, he is the master of redemption. We're going to see a little bit more about that as we go. And then um, God also not only owned the land in the nation of Israel, and he still does, by the way. A lot of prophecies transpired in the last uh, 70 years to, to really demonstrate that. that. That property in Israel today is God's property. Uh, not to be confused with the 
gospel band that was God's property a few years ago. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. So God owned, he purchased or he redeemed his people. He, he, he found them valuable. He redeemed his people. So God goes on to exercise authority and ownership of the people of, of Israel in Leviticus 25 and verse 38. And this is what he said there. And you guys have that verse queued up? I don't know if that's uh, in the works, Leviticus 25, 38. Okay. Well, you, uh, I'll read it. Or you can, if you have a Bible, you can turn here and look at it. You know, in the old days, we had to, like, open up our Bibles and turn to the pages and then read that out of the Bible. It was crazy before tablets and phones and, and PowerPoint. But anyway, so it says there, um, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. Okay, and so in Leviticus 25, verse 42, he goes on to say, For ye are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. And he goes on in, in Leviticus 25, and verse 55, and says, For unto me the children of Israel are servants, they are my servants. I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the people are under his possession. He owns them as well. Um, he brought them out of Egypt and he purchased them in essence uh, when he did that. And of course he instituted the Passover and all those other things which are picturing how he would redeem not only Israel but the whole world of their sin. And then the third aspect that you can find in Leviticus 25 is then because he is the owner of the land and then the people that possess it, He's the redeemer thereof. He's the one that has ownership of it. Uh, then he says, hey, by the way, then now you, because you're my servant, need to treat uh, your brother properly because that's what I said. So uh, we see that further in Leviticus 25, 25, where he says, if thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. You have to give that property back to his brethren because it belongs to them and their inheritance. So you think, well, what in the world, Brian, does that have to do with anything? Well, you're going to have to hang with me for just a few more seconds. So God has a plan for redemption. In the Old Testament, it's a, it's a picture. This is also going to be part of the, how God uh, administrates his kingdom. Uh, really, here in a few more verses, we'll look more into that in the fullness of time. Um, he, his, his, Jesus Christ owns the earth. Okay, I'm going to take a time out and just talk about that. Just, this is totally not in my notes, but this is important to where we are in time because that's actually what's on the agenda next for prophecy. That's, why, that's kind of why it's important to study Ephesians right now and get the aspects of Christ's deity and his ownership. Because what happened you know, in the life of the nation of Israel, coming out of a promise of faith with Abraham and, and working through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to these 12 boys that become 12 tribes that become a nation with a promised land and inheritance that we've even had a world, two world wars over the last century to establish that reality, whether the powers that be knew it or not. It was already prophesied long ago. Daniel had it already laid out from the dream, dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, all that stuff is biblical. So when you get to the big showdown that's about to come in Daniel's 70th week, it's really all about this issue of redemption. Who owns the planet? Who is the rightful owner thereof? So... That's why, you see, you know, for those that think, you know, Bible-believing Christians like myself uh, are like kind of wackos when it comes to uh, globalism and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we get on the tinfoil hat. And, well, there's a reason for that because we understand that there are forces at work that will, in the near future, try to wrest the authority of Christ, right, away. So, so and a good practical example is like we are all for uh, conservation, right? I mean, I think most Christians are for con conservation. I like, I, I like take my paper and my toilet rolls. I got one at home right now sitting. I got to take it out of the bathroom and go throw it in the recycle bin. You know, all the stuff. We do the recycle thing. I don't like seeing, I don't even think we need plastic bottles. We should all go back to, we should get rid of these, these petroleum bottles and go back to glass bottles. They're funner to break when you were a kid on the road. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh but, you know, we used to recycle before recycling was cool, right? Because we all used glass bottles and, and the male guy and the Coke guy would all redo the bottles, you know. And Okay, so it's not about, I think the EPA is a good thing if it's monitored, right? And I've, I've actually personally been involved, I can't speak to the details, in projects with the EPA that are good. I'm thankful for the EPA because I've seen some things go on 
that if it wasn't for the EPA, you don't know what's gonna, what kind of chemical cloud's going to come floating underneath your daycare. You know? So praise God for those things. You know? and, uh, and so we're not against having a clean environment. But what the reality is, though, is when it comes to people's carbon footprints and, and, uh, and who really, uh, and taxing the air and taxing the natural resources that God has given to everybody, well, you got to be careful there because there are people that will have designs on the creation, on God's creation that he's given to everyone. Right? And we know that's coming. There's going to be people that lay claim to this planet that aren't Jesus. And they're not even, and they're going to be deniers of the, well, they're going to be false. They may not deny the Lord Jesus, but they certainly are not going to obey him. And so, and so these, are, these are times where redemption, understanding who owns things is really important. So God had to lay this out with the, in the nation of Israel. So uh, when it comes to people, right? So I'll just use a practical example. So I don't really believe that Chairman Ping or whatever his name is over in China whoever the new chairman is that replaced Chairman Mao generations later, I don't believe he owns one soul in China. Now, he doesn't believe that because that's not what the Communist Party teaches. But I don't believe that because that's not what the Bible teaches, right? And so that's why slavery is an anathema to born-again Christians. And so these are things Jesus came to set the captives free, and, and that's why Jesus is, is so threatening because he, he's, man, you know, he may own everybody, but he doesn't enslave anybody. Right, and he lets them go free, and so it's an amazing thing that God, that, that God does. And if you are going to be a slave, you want to be Jesus's slave. Uh, you don't want to be anyone else's. Let me tell you, because Jesus is the only benevolent dictator we're ever going to know. So in Psalm chapter one thirty and verse seven, it says this: It says, "Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with His uh, uh, plenteous redemption." Uh, and, and he shall redeem Israel from all iniquities. So he's going he's gonna to redeem them. He's going to save them from all iniquities. Now, that's a, that's a prophecy to Israel. Now, we know that when he came to save Israel, he also, it ended up, he saved the whole world, right? That was always in God's uh, agenda anyway. So, what are you, Brian, what are you saying? You're getting off on tangents. I know I am. Let me get back where I need to go. So, let's go to Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3. Keeping all this discussion of redemption in mind. Because redemption and, 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 uh, and value and paying for, for things, uh, are all it all goes hand in hand when you're talking about the word redemption. It implies we've been purchased. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, in my mind, the best explanation of biblical redemption to the Galatians, uh, a group who were, were, were being bombarded by Judaizers, who probably should have understood what we just talked about better than I do even in Leviticus uh, 25. And he says this in verse uh, 10 of chapter 3 of Galatians. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All right, so let me just pause for just a moment. So there in Galatians 3.10, Paul's laying down something. He's saying, look, I mean, the law is not bad, but the problem with the law is that it's perfect and we're not. That's in essence, that's the long and short of it. So if you can't do all that's in the law, it's the law itself that judges you guilty. That's why we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, because only God is capable of fulfilling the law. And that's not okay. He, it's, it's okay because not only did he make a, it's not an impossible standard because it was met in him. It's just a perfect standard. And that standard was met in Christ. So let's keep going and see what Paul says, because he's going somewhere. He says, but that no man is justified by the law. Uh, he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Now, Jesus, or, uh, well, Jesus, but Paul says a mouthful there. And he's appealing, uh, as he did even to, the, as Jesus did to the Pharisees, that, you know, Abraham was justified by faith. Before there was a law of Moses, Abraham was counted as just. If you go to the Hebrews 11, there's many men there that are counted as just. Just Lot. Well, just Lot, well, just Lot was before Abraham, or I mean, before the law of Moses, and he was counted as a just man. Because it's faith that justifies a man, not works. Always has been that way. Um, and so, and the law is not of, uh, and that's what it says in verse 12. Paul's pointing out, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath, here it comes, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And by the way, that's exactly what he was explaining to Nicodemus in John 3. How he would be made a curse as he would hang upon a tree. Um, as it talks about in Numbers, and became a curse for us. Cursed is anyone that hangeth on a tree. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 
that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, you'll notice there is in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, so how did he do that? Because the word redeemed implies we've been purchased. It implies that, that we have been purchased. So the word redeemed implies that. So when Paul wrote this epistle, uh, both to Ephesus and Galatians, um, the Roman Empire was estimated to have 60 million slaves at that time. And so people were brought, bought and sold like property. And uh, can you imagine uh, the value that would be placed on a soul that was purchased and then set free? Right? I mean, when you think about freeing a slave that you bought, that's, that's, that's some sort of freedom, right? And so... When Jesus purchases slaves, it's not so that he can enslave them. It's so that he can liberate them. And we are slaves to sin. Our redemption came through his blood. And so it would be, you know, you go, you, I mean, we won't even do this with property. Who wants to go, go buy yourself a $35,000 car and then just say, you know what, that's okay. I'm going to give it to somebody. You're going to be like, whoa, 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 what are you, right? Well, listen, how valuable is your soul? It's super valuable to you. Uh, you want it, you want it to be eternally living with God forever. I hope, uh, because if if He doesn't redeem you, then guess what? You have no value. You're going to be cast in a lake of fire. And so Jesus purchased our our pardon through the precious price of His blood. He became a curse for us, right? He knew no sin, but He became sin for us. He became as sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God. So what is what is something worth? This was a good. I, I learned this lesson many years ago. We went to purchased this property and put this building on it. I sat with the banker. Uh, it wasn't Tracy Sloan. It was a different banker. And, uh, and, uh, and he says, uh, I'll never forget it. It was actually, I'll just say his name because it doesn't matter. He actually works for Tracy now, Ralph Glazner. And I was running numbers over, and we we're talking about financing and what we could build, the building and all that. You know, building was, and property, building and property, it doesn't matter. But it's like a million two is to get all this up and going here. And uh, I'm like, well, how much can we get a loan for? Well, how much is the building worth? I mean, what could we sell it for and all that? You know, and he's like, well, Brian, I got news for you. A building's worth what you can get for it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's true. You know, right now houses, you can redeem a house for a lot more than you could have a couple years ago. You can get a lot more for it because that's what it's worth. You know what makes us valuable is our inheritance. It's the person who bought us. It's Christ. He's, he's esteemed us so valuable God the Father esteemed us so valuable that he gave the most precious thing he had, which was his son, to redeem us. Ergo, that is the love of God toward us because there's nothing more valuable to him than himself and his son. And in his incredible love, he gave, him, he gave himself literally as a sacrifice to redeem us. And by, by so doing, by his blood redemption, we have then, he's bestowed upon us the value of Christ, which is the deity of God. Christ sent us the hope. I mean, I think I could stop right there because that's that's enough, man. I mean, you could think about we can think about that till Jesus comes back and till eternity, and so that's what makes us valuable. I mean, He has purchased us with His own blood. He's redeemed us, and then it goes on to say, "For as much as ye in uh, this is First Peter one eighteen. I'm zooming ahead here. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now this is Peter actually speaking here, uh, but we could put this shoe on our foot and wear it, right? Silver and gold. Now, how many people don't think silver and gold is worth something today? You know what? In Peter, he's like, we're not talking about, we're talking about something much more valuable than silver and gold. It's like the old hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Uh, man, what an awesome song that is. How precious is that? That, that, that flow, you know, it, 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 it uh, cleanses all our guilty stains. What an incredible value the blood of Christ is. That is way more valuable than silver or gold. So think about that in practical application in the United States today, in the world. Economies, you know, everybody's worried, and, it, and we should be worried that uh, the economy could crash. You know, the Chi-Coms could take over the world economy. That's a big problem. All right, we get all that. But the reality, at the end of the day, that's not the most, that's not the scariest thing. You know what's worse than, than an than a economic debt 
or a downfall is a, is a drought in the preaching and hearing of the word of God. Not understanding the value of humanity because the gospel isn't being clearly presented is a huge deficit in the heart of man. Everyone everywhere needs to hear that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and that God of heaven values them. Because you know the most precious resource, and I think any president would tell you this, the most precious resource in any country, anywhere, including the United States, is not our gold and our silver, it's our people. And what really makes people precious is the way God values them. And so that's why these things are important, because when you understand the lengths that with which God Almighty went to to redeem Adam's fallen race, oh my goodness, uh, the value that we are that is then bestowed upon us through his propitiation is so enormous it's beyond explanation. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to even captivate uh, or to, uh, to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not captivate, uh, capsulate in just a few words. It's, it's really enormous to think about. So Romans 3 says this in verse 24, being justified through a lot of work. No, it doesn't say that. Do you guys have that verse queued up? Romans 3, 24 through 25. There you go. Being justified freely, right, by his grace through the redemption, 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 that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. That's a big word. Through faith in his blood. All right, now propitiation, is, he's our replacement in essence. Um, God has set forth to be a propitiation. Jesus Christ was on that cross in our stead. And his sacrifice, which is acceptable sacrifice, is there in our stead. That's why he's our propitiation. Right? And, and we have faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the, here it comes, the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So we are redeemed by his blood. We're redeemed by his blood. That's kind of crazy. You don't hear a lot about the blood of Christ. Listen to a lot of, I mean, you do hear a few songs talk about the blood of Christ. But a lot of the Christian music today, you don't hear about the blood. And nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, you don't hear about the blood. You hear a lot about the blood? Power. One, yeah, working in power and the blood of the Lamb. I mean, I need to dial up Chris Tomlin and say, hey, Tomlin, you need to put some more blood in your music, pal. But uh, <clears throat> it needs to be the blood of Christ or it isn't worth anything. So the blood of bulls and goats isn't enough, right? Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, blood of bulls and goats, it'll cover sin, uh, but it won't cleanse it. If you want remission of sin, you need to come to the blood of Christ. Right, a, a Scoopy token is great if you want to get some ice cream at Culver's, but it ain't enough to pay your bills, man. <laughs> you got to have the right denomination, and that is going to be the blood of Christ. If you want to have redemption, if you want to have eternal life, it comes through an eternal sacrifice, and it comes. It isn't gold and silver is not enough. You cannot pay your way into heaven. You can't work hard enough to get to heaven. It only comes freely by grace through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It's just that simple. Now we've inherited that, right? We've we've taken that on. That's that's accounted to us. That's part of our inheritance. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of us are going to be like thinking, oh, all the sins I've done. i got news for you, pal. Your sins have already been put on the cross. You're judged for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. What did you do with the liberty that you had in Christ to serve him? Some people are so bogged down in guilt and shame, they don't even realize they're free. They think they're in a cage of sin and, and shame. In reality, they're free, and they don't even get out. You know, it's like my dogs, I used to have to, you know, lock them in, throw them in the cage, make them stay in the cage. After a while, they go in the cage on their own. That's just the prison they like to live in. They get comfortable in that. Boy, there's a lot of Christians like that. And I actually, I know so much about that because I'm one of them. So I know how that goes. You know, I know how we are sometimes. We forget our identity in Christ, which is why it's important to study the inheritance that we have. So we're redeemed by his blood. And the most beautiful example of our redemption is found in Ruth. Uh, not baby Ruth, but Ruth in the Bible. There's a book called Ruth in the Old Testament. And, uh, and the Hebrew word for redeemer is often rendered kinsman. For you Bible students, it's kinsman. Uh, and there's an there's a, there's a Old Testament law called the kinsman redeemer. In Job 19.25, Job said, I know that my redeemer liveth. That same Hebrew word is also translated my kinsman liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So Job is saying that. Job is saying that before the Old Testament's written. Hey, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he's going to stand on the earth. In the latter days, he's going to stand on the earth. So 11 times in the book of Ruth, the Hebrew word, it's, it's uh, pronounced gaal. Not that that matters. It's probably more like gaal. They always have that. That sounds like they're about to spit when they say it. But it's gaal, something like that. It's translated kinsman, and it's translated 
uh, redeem or redeemer or redeemed 69 times in the Old Testament. And uh, that's beautiful, as Boaz was the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, and he gave value to Ruth by performing the duty of the kinsman redeemer. So Ruth is a picture of the church, and, she's a, and she also obviously pictures then the redemption of Christ. So redemption includes, and this is really important, uh, forgiveness of sins. I was going to park on that Ruth example, but I think I'm going to blow past it today for, because for time I need to, I'm only going to get one point done. I thought I was going to blow through all of them today, but I can see I'm not. So, so listen, just hang on for a few more minutes. Redemption includes the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the word forgive means to carry away. And that reminds us of the ritual on the Jewish day of atonement. Now that, this is, this is really cool. So if you go back to Leviticus 16, and we're not going to do that because there's, we have to read 34 verses and we don't have time for that. The, the, uh, the first, first the priest killed one of the two goats and sprinkled its blood before, before God on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. Then he, conf- then he confessed Israel's sins over the live uh, goat and had the, the goat taken into the wilderness to be lost. So Christ died to carry away our sins so that, that they might never be seen again. So uh, no written accusation. Uh, stands against us because our sins have been taken away. Sin has made us uh, poor, but God's grace makes us rich. And that, that's cool. That's actually a quote from uh, Warren Wearsby. So in Psalm 103 and verse 12, the Bible says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. John chapter 1 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto, uh, unto him and saith, Behold, now think about it in this context. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus being that Lamb of God is obviously our rede- redemption. That's what the, the Passover was all about. We talked about slaves in the Roman Empire. How easy would it be for a slave to identify with the children of Israel in bondage and a lamb being slain and God then letting the children of Israel go free so that they could go into the promised land. Man, what an incredible picture that is. And that's exactly what happens to us. We're in bondage to sin. Until we recognize that Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on the cross 2,000 years ago, almost, not quite that long ago. And he died on the cross for our sins. And, he, and, and when he did, his blood was shed. Blood and water came out and he redeemed us from our sin. And he is the, what we, we bring as our redemption ticket. God, you will not accept me unless I have this sacrifice. I claim this sacrifice by grace. I call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you. I believe it. You saved me through your son, Jesus Christ. The Bible promises in his word, not my word, his word, that you are saved when you call upon the name of the Lord. You're saved because you're bringing the right, you're bringing the right, um, the right currency uh, to pay that sin debt. And it's not your works, and it's not gold, and it's not silver. It's not the Old Testament law. It is the one who fulfilled the law and is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Your faith in his faith is what gets you saved. You believing that Jesus actually accomplished what he said he did and believing that alone is what's going what's gonna to ring the bell, so to speak, and get you into heaven. And, uh, man, that blood is important. It's the blood of Christ. Uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the old says in the Old Testament. So we need to understand that our shedding of blood isn't a bull, it isn't a goat, it isn't our own, you know, in, the, in a lot of uh, workspace religions, both Islam and Roman Catholicism, they have a thing called self-flagellation. They'll even they'll put whips and cords together, even to this day, and they'll whip themselves bloody. And they do that for, uh, uh, um, it's called asceticism, but it's basically to earn favor with Allah if you're a Muslim or to, with God if you're a Roman Catholic. Same root. It doesn't really matter. It's both, it's, there's only two religions. There's works and there's grace. And, uh, man, grace comes through the blood of Christ, man. And we're saved by grace through faith. We'll get to that in chapter 2. Okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. So Jesus left my sin. Where's my sin at today? So we're talking about our inheritance, right? Where is my, Ron, where's my sin today? Do you know? It's under the blood, right? It's, it's nailed to the cross, it's as far away as the east is from the west. There's several different Bible verses that we could appeal to. And see of forgetfulness. Amen. My sin, uh, Ron's sin, I think everybody in this room's sin, but I don't know who's saved and who's not. So I'm just saying. But uh, if you're born again, your sin, it's covered. It's under the blood. It's cleansed. It's more than covered. It's cleansed. So Jesus left my sin on the cross under the blood, as, as Ron was saying. So Colossians, actually, I like Colossians 2.14. It says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Uh, you know, it's like when you get pulled over, you're like, 
you know, you thought you were just speeding, but now you find out you got a parking light out, you don't have the tags right, you know, there's just all this, you had, you had a blotting, you had all this stuff, you know, I thought I, man, officer, I thought I was going the speed limit, right? No, he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, right? Jesus was a curse. He got nailed to the cross. Uh, Romans 4, 6 says, even as David hath described, described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So um, our sins are covered in the blood and thereby cleansed. In Hebrews 10, 4, the Bible says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It's just not possible. It can't take them away. But Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Woo! So i got to stop there, and I don't want to because I want to get through the rest of the through verse 14. But if I do that, we'll be here for another 20 minutes, and I know you guys aren't going to want to wait. So this is what we're going to do. I want to end where I started. You know, I was talking about redeeming us and uh, redemption on this point number uh, four. That's what, that's what we've inherited, redemption. We've, we've, got, we've had our sins cleansed. But you'll notice that Revelation 5, 9, it's kind of timely that we end here. There's a new song out, or a relatively new song, uh, about who's worthy to open the seals by Chris Tomlin. Anybody heard that? Uh, he is. It's a, it's a cool song. It's got some lyrical issues. We're working on that. But, um, you know, Revelation 5-9 is exactly what we're just, I was just talking about a little while ago. This great scene in Revelation 5 where everybody, and I'm there, and if you're born again, you're there. John's looking at us. I mean, we're there. We're hanging out in that scene. We're already there. Uh, that's us yet future. Go, go, read, go read Revelation 5. It's amazing. We're, we're hanging out there around the throne. All right, so we're going to be hanging out there around the throne. And uh, this scene's going to happen. And uh, there's going to be this book or this seal that needs to be opened. And it's the book because it says the book's in verse 9. Uh, and nobody's going to be able to open it. And you know what? Eventually Jesus is going to stand up because John's weeping. He's going to start crying. He already did it. He was in, however that worked. Anyway, transported to the future. And, uh, and he's weeping. And finally the angel's like, hey, relax, bro. Um, the lamb, he's got it here. And so Jesus stands up and he opens the seals. You know, and we should rejoice because he's the only one worthy. But I want you guys to understand when you were in my, if you were in my revelation class, Sharon, I know this, I don't, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you might remember what I called that, that, that seal, that book. You know, all, all of the, a lot of the Bibles, especially these King James Bibles, they'll actually emulate that. Uh, it's good preaching. You know, there's seven little marks, seven seals across the back of a King James Bible most often because of Revelation 5, 9, the seven seals. But um, mine's got that too. Who's worthy to open? Oh, all right, that's cool. It's good preaching too, and it's really awesome and inspirationally. But in reality, what I think that, that roll scroll really is is, is the uh, title deed to the earth because Jesus owns the earth. At that time, there's coming a world government, a world leader that's actually going to claim ownership to the property that isn't theirs and governance of it too. And so it's going to take about seven years to work all that out. But eventually Jesus is going to come back and he's going to claim his property. He's going to claim his people. And because our inheritance is Christ, we're coming back with him. And we're not coming back to be redeemed. We're coming back because we are redeemed already. And if you come back next week, and you get in on our next section, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Because uh, this issue of redemption isn't something that we're looking forward to other than in our physical redemption, the redemption of the purchased possession. Our redemption is already had. We have already been bought. We have already been saved. We have already, man, our, it is amazing what is laying, uh, laid up for us in heaven. And so that's what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, and I know you might not think it really has to jump over to Revelation 5, 9. Well, it has to do with the one that's redeemed us to God by the blood. And it just happens to be in the context 
because I took you back to Leviticus initially. Leviticus was talking about how, how God redeemed the property. He redeemed the people. And then because he redeemed the property and the people, we should have a right relationship with, in the Old Testament sense, they should have had a right relationship with how they treated one another in regard to their pop- property rights. Well, beloved, that's exactly the way we should end this tonight because the reality is Jesus Christ, he's redeemed us. He's redeemed this world, but it, isn't yet, it has not yet appeared what's coming, but it will. And that's what Revelation 5, 9 is all about. That's why he opens those seals because he's, he's fixing to, <laughs> to reveal who owns this property. And, uh, and then, you know what, we come back with him. And you know what, today, that's why it's so important that we have right relationships with God and right relationships with one another. Because I don't care if someone's lost in their, the most wicked, evil sinner you know. God has already seen those persons as redeemable because there's no sin that is greater than the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it behooves us to preach the gospel, not get caught up in uh, foreknowledge and chosen and predestination and mis- misapply it and then not preach the gospel with some philosophy that, le- that, 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 that knocks us out of the ball game. And we know right around the corner, Jesus Christ is fixing to open up a seal that's going to bring wrath to this world and he's the only one worthy to do it because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's also the one who takes back the property. Right, And so these are things that, that, that Bible believers should understand. Now, I, I get it that a lot of people don't understand these things because they don't study the Bible, but we, are, we claim to be Bible believers. And so it's important that we believe the Word of God, that we rightly divide the Word of God. But most importantly, then, if we believe the Word of God and we rightly divide the Word of God and we know these things, then, man, we have to rightly apply the Word of God. And we've got to apply the blood on our lives every day. First John 1, 9, we confess our sins. God is faithful and just forgive us our sins. What is that really dealing with? That's reckoning with the reality of the blood of Christ. You know you don't have to get saved over and over again. What you're really acknowledging is that the blood of Christ is sufficient. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. The Holy Spirit of God is sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient. The local New Testament church is sufficient. The promises of God are sufficient. These are all yay, yay in Christ. I'm not a slave. I am serving the, I'm serving a Savior that is redeeming from the curse of the law, and I've been set free to be his ambassador for Christ, man. And so we got to get out and get it done because I'm telling you guys, the owner of the property is going to bring in all the debts. And you're like, well, my debt's paid for. I know your debt's play, paid for, but not everybody else has that knowledge. And so we've got to get the word out while there's opportunity. So in closing, let me do this because i gotta, I got to close. We'll pick this up next week. Um, I hope you, is there anyone online? Who's back there, uh, Ray? Has anybody got any anybody got anything to say? This crowd here—they're just heckling me. <laughs> They've all went to sleep. I understand. So um, they're like, "Man, that guy went from teaching to preaching." All right, so uh, let's do this. Uh, let me give you a couple of announcements. We'll pray and be dismissed. If there's anybody that wants to say something or has a question, uh, you might have one after I say this, if indeed anyone is. Is there anyone watching tonight, Ray? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Welcome to Heartland. It's good to see you tonight. It's good to see everybody. All right. So um, we're going to open up uh, June, ideally. Okay. So here's the deal. We're going we're gonna, to, ideally, if everything goes well, we'll be opening up Fun in the Sun on Wednesday nights on June the 10th. All right, so uh, this is how it's going the next few, this Sunday is like it has been. We'll do two services, you know, work that out, ABFs. This is Memorial Day weekend, so we'll see what we got. And, uh, um, and, and we'll work it out as we have been. And then the next Sunday is the 31st of May. We're going to all come together at 1030 in here, however many that can. Again, we're still under the, dispensation of of uh, grace i mean we understand if people have health concerns and all of that uh you certainly don't need to risk your health and all of that but uh you know we're doing we're still going to maintain all the safe distancing and all of those things that we have been and come together for the lord's supper um but i want to do this together whether you're in the building or out of the building i cannot tell paul said no he has another verse but whether in the building or out of the building is not is not pertinent to the lord's supper because we have we have procured little, um, little, little containers of, of uh, juice, unfermented, non-alcoholic type of the blood of Christ, pure, pure blood of the grape, and, and, and uh, 
and wafers representing the bread, the body of Christ. Again, un, unfermented, meaning unleavened. So not a, not a saltine cracker uh, or a graham cracker, but an unleavened piece of bread. All individually wrapped together. We have not touched it. So nobody's coughed on it, sneezed on it, at least not in our purview. I mean, it's, it's all come to us because it came in the mail. It must be clean. And, uh, and so uh, we've got these. And so obviously we're going to use those here in-house this time uh, just so everyone has a, has, feels good about the contents. But also, we're, if you are like saying, Brian, I want to get in on it, I want everybody that wants to to be in on it virtually as well. So we're going to have the elements. We bought enough elements. If you want to get in on the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, come by the church and, you know, or, or call and set up a time you'll be by or what have you. We'll have it ready so you can get enough elements for your family uh, to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, of course, you can go get Welch's grape juice or whatever you want. I mean, that's that's up to you. But I'm, I'm particular, folks, about, about the, uh, the elements. So if you're like, Brian, I don't care what kind of bread it is. Well, then just don't tell me about it. So you don't offend my conscience. So, um, and so, uh, so, uh, so, yeah, amen, Jeff. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with the pastors that are like, well, whatever, just you get whatever. And I'm like, man, I know David ate the showbread, but come on, man, let's, let's keep the, well, let's just start sprinkling then. Let's not worry about baptizing people. I mean, <laughs> so, is that not true? I mean, if we're going to do, if we're going to do a picture, let's do the picture, right? So, um, anyway, so, Having said that, now you really know my mind on it, and I know only HBF people are watching, so we're all good. Um, so, uh, so what I would, so you can come by and get those, or or maybe if you could sweet talk your deacon into it, maybe especially seriously, there's some that that may need us to bring it by. No problem. Call the office, let us know that, or maybe a few of you will be calling you because we think we know who you are. But if we miss somebody and we're not offering that up and you still want to be part of it, let us know. We want everyone in the body to be part of it is what I'm saying. We'll, we'll put it out there online and all that and do it uh, together on the 31st of May. So we're only having one service that day because we're going to do it one time all together here and there, one time. And uh, we're going to do it at uh, the 1030 service time. And, uh, and that's all we're going to have on May 31st. And then the following week is, is June 7th. And uh, Ray is so excited to take all this AV equipment out to the park and set it up. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to do that and uh, have a great time at the park. And we've actually are going to have food. We're not going to we were not going to have food, but now we're going to have individually prepared sandwiches and uh, and uh, cookie and chips and a beverage. So so if you want to help with that, see David Branham. He is procuring the things, and uh, those will be assembled in the most COVID friendly safe fashion uh you know six feet between every piece of meat i don't know but we'll uh, we'll assemble that all together and uh and we'll get that and we'll distribute it in a way that's it's easy for folks to get a hold of without breathing on each other and uh and that'll be a good time so the 7th of june we're gonna we're gonna be at the at the church in the park that's a 10 a.m start it's gonna be a great time uh, and then on the on the 10th following that is fun in the sun we're by if everything goes well with governor parsons etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, I'm hoping that we can open up children's ministry, not just on the Wednesday night, the 10th, but then the following Sunday, June the 14th, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing, we're going to be able to open it up here in the building and get back to having childcare and some normalcy, uh, more normalcy uh, in regard to how we do church on Sunday. And so uh, I, I'm sure we'll still have to maintain some safe distancing and some this, that, and the other, but we'll work all that out. Yes, Jeff. That's what we're tentatively planning, and so, and I should say a lot of this is still in the planning, so be, stay tuned. This is not necessarily the final word. We have a variable uh, or two that we still have to, you know, uh, factor in, but Lord willing, as I said, uh, the 14th will be ABFs back at nine in the building, if possible, and, uh, and also we'll still be doing technology, I'm sure, so uh, for the most part, on all services. So if you can't, there are still going to be people that probably won't be able to be in for a while yet. And again, I'll just remind you, we have three steps that we're working. So, uh, and some people are, are like, you know, I, even though you hear me and I'm yielding to the governor, and I am doing that, but me and the governor, we're tight. So not really, but uh, uh, we've been walking along uh, uh, pretty close. So I, I, I had a five-phase plan they got whittled down to three because he, he actually unrolled things much quicker than I anticipated. 
and uh, and I appreciate uh, uh, the Cass County Health Department, Andy Warland, uh, you know, cooperating, cooperating closely and staying close to the guidelines given to uh, Governor Parsons. Missouri's doing a good job, in my estimation, on uh, about everything they're doing in regard to tracking, testing. Uh, we have a really good state, and they're really they truly say they're data driven, and they are. They're they're basing things off of data, uh, and not you know. Uh, conjecture and so um, and so I, I have a confidence by in God and then uh, by his grace we'll be able to continue on our three-phase plan so I wanted to throw that out there and uh, let everybody know that but also ask you to pray about that um, because you know there are people you know that are legitimately you know have health concerns and that that uh, you know it's going to be a bummer as we come back together if, if they're not able to and, and some there's really really are people that may not be able to uh, and so we need to continue to encourage those people and, and be in prayer for them. There's also people, one of the other things we need to pray that people don't, uh, that they, they really have a conviction about obeying the Lord and assembling together uh, as, as, you know, as appropriate. And so that we don't get lazy and turn the gathering of the saints into something that's convenient versus something that's a conviction based out of the word of God. And so those are things too that as we go forward, and I, and I would ask that we, not just pray that for Heartland, but for all the churches or anybody out there listening to me right now. Uh, that's a very real issue that we need to be careful about because uh, that's kind of the apathy that snuck in on the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. And before you know it, there's uh, anarchy and, and uh, it's uh, out of control. And ap apostasy, actually. Uh, anarchy, apathy, apostasy, and anarchy is the, how it kind of goes. So uh, maybe not in that order. But uh, let's go ahead and pray and uh, let's remember the blood of Christ. Nobody else had anything to say uh, that I need to know about there, Ray? All right, everybody out there and everyone in here, it's good having you guys. It's good to have real people. Thanks for coming. You guys, by the, by the way, before we pray, next time, if, if you have questions or anything or want me to stop, feel free to you know, raise your hand so we can do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this.